Attention audience, it's that time of the week again, we know it, we love it. It's Friday, Friday, Friday Films, da 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 That's right, welcome back, Friday Films, Bond in Review, still going strong, getting close to the, or no, we're halfway through Pierce Brosnan now, I mean, we got this one, one more, and then we're into the Daniel Craig block. That's right, that's right, we're, we're creeping up on it, man, we're, uh, we're almost in the final block of bond in review it is i can't wait it has been a ride but i'll tell you one thing that's also been a ride is this run of pierce brosnan movies so far yes yes <laughs> not gonna lie i've been uh like we said the uh the roger morris had, had high highs and low lows and so far despite pierce brosnan being the one the bond that you and i both grew up grew up with and are both super nostalgic for and is still as of now my my favorite bond as a bond mm-hmm. but man the movies have just just exponentially declined in quality since golden yeah yeah like we, I, I was we started surprised. with golden taking lead of number one then last week we had tomorrow never dies drop way down at number 12 and man the way you and i were talking before recording i do not have high hopes for where worlds and other else is gonna end up <laughs> no no i, I will say because i want to get into this movie because again growing up with it i enjoyed it now that i'm we've been doing the bond reviews and i've been actually able to look at every bond movie more in depth you know how the stories unfold how the villains interact how bond is bond and so on um this movie is not holding up as as well as i remember but I also didn't have all that when I was doing my old Bond, um, when I was watching Bond. It was just like, hey, this is an action spy movie. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm it liking was, uh, it. There's it stuff going on. Fun um, boom booms. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this this movie has some really good moments uh, that I know we'll be excited to get into when we actually jump into the movie. Uh, but overall, I'm surprised going back and watching these Brosnan movies that they're not as high on the list as I thought they would be. Uh, especially last week, you know. So I, yeah. I'm I'm curious to see how we're going to do this one when we get to the end. But uh, with that, you want to jump into it? Let's roll into it, man. The World is Not Enough, released November 19th, 1999, three days before my birthday. That's one thing I've always been, I've always loved is a lot of the, the Bond movies since the Pierce Brosnan ones through the Daniel Craig's have released like around my birthday. So it kind of ends up becoming like a birthday thing for me. You know, Bond 25 is in April, but there's been like three or four Bonds that I've released in like October, November range. So it's become kind of a birthday tradition for me to watch Bond. Um, Nice, nice. Well, happy birthday, sir. Thank you. Way early. How many years ago? (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm just, you know. Uh, Happy belated birthday from from 1999. Yeah. Yeah. Runtime of two hours and eight minutes, bog standard for Bond movies, right just that hair over two hour mark. Directed directed by Michael Apted. So we switched over directors. We've got a new director for this one. And you can see there is a bit of a shift in style as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can definitely tell. Starring yet again Pierce Brosnan, Sophie Marcieu, and Robert Carlyle. Budget of you ready for this? I am. One hundred thirty-five million dollars. <laughs> wow. We are in the big budget Bond movies now, man. Like we are in the late nineties, early two thousands, where everything is is a hundred million or a hundred million plus in budget. I feel like a lot of that had to go towards that BMW scene. Yeah, 
Yeah, which I know we'll get into yeah, when we get back, yeah, you know, you're... later in the movie. But I feel like majority of it went to that. You're not wrong. A lot of a uh, lot of money went into that that BMWs. <laughs> um, <laughs> now that they have more than one car to work with. Yeah. Uh, so that's it, man. Let's roll into it. All right, the classic intro in color. Um, I'm, again, we'll, we'll we'll mention briefly. Glad that we're back to the uh, the traditional Bond music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they kind of. I think from here on, they kind of. They stick all with just that. have traditional style. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, after. On. I don't remember. I don't remember the Craigs doing anything weird with them with the intro music. Off top hand, um, I don't know. Yeah. But from the Gun Barrel intro, we cut to Bond arriving in Bill Bow Bill Bo Bill Bow Bill Bow. I don't know. Bill Bill Bo Baggin, Spain. Um, <laughs> at a meeting with a Swiss banker, things go south very, very quickly, and Bond uses his a little switch on his eyeglasses to explode his gun thingy as a distraction. Uses that opportunity to interrogate the banker for the name of some dude. We don't know yet. We're just yeah, just, which is- just some dude. Bond's trying to track down. And I honestly, I think this is the first time I've ever seen Bond use his gun. As an explosive distraction. Normally, he keeps it on him. I mean, he sleeps with it under his pillow. This time, he just uses it as a decoy. Just, hey, here's my gun. Blow it up. I don't need it anymore. But as Bond's interrogating the banker, he is killed by a throwing knife to the back of the neck. Bond goes to chase whoever killed him, and they just kind of disappeared up the stairs, I guess. And Bond locks himself into the office as another baker wakes up from the previous explosion that presumably knocked him out and has sniped across Bond, you know, from behind Bond's shoulder as the police police arrive. Bond then decides, and I kind of, this scene went so quickly, I lost what he uh, what he used to escape, but Bond, I, I marked it in my notes as shoelaces tied to a man. <laughs> it was kind of like, the best I can explain from what I gathered with it, because it was a very quick scene, is it, to me it seemed like the rope... But like the thin rope laces you would see on like certain curtains. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he did. Because he was like curtains. messing with the window yeah. curtain and something, and then he had this rope that just happened to be long enough to reach from whatever floor he was on. Oh yeah. Out just the window enough. and down. I mean. I, I love I that he. I guess used they make another man's body as the anchor. The anchor, and that dude that, was that like, was great. "No." <laughs> yeah. Bond gets like that was probably like my favorite part of the scene. Yeah. He like repels halfway down, and the guy like catches himself on the table. And Bond just keeps pulling, pulling the rope until the man gets jerked into the wall, and Bond drops down to the bottom. Yeah, the leg finally breaks on the table, and he just goes flying back, and it's like just in time for the Craziness. the guards to break through the door, and he's like strapped and like can't move anywhere. Yep, um, but that was probably like my favorite scene there. <laughs> Once Bond hits the ground at the bottom, he you know gets rid of his shoelaces and just walks off. We cut back to jolly old England where Bond is delivering the money and flirts, but not before, flirting with Money Penny. And we've been over this with the previous Pierce Brosnan movies. Dude, the flirting with Money Penny in the Pierce Brosnan movies is like yes. it is it is it it is like HR sexual harassment level. <laughs> it it's, really is. We've surpassed the work flirt of of um Roger Moore and Sean Connery and George Lazenby, we are in full-blown sexual harassment right now. <laughs> like, there's an HR rep somewhere true. watching these movies, going, "Ooh, <laughs> you know." <laughs> but anyway, it's very true. There, there are strong scenes between the two of them. Oh, absolutely. Um, but Lots they both played off very well. Yeah, the actors with them, are. With their, you can tell yeah. there's 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 good chemistry between the actors, which mm-hmm. is awesome. 
Um, but post flirting with Money Penny, <clears throat> Bond meets with Sir Robert King and M. King thanks Bond for recovering his money and leaves. Bond and M share a drink and discuss the mission, discuss things. I'm, it's, I'm never clear on what they were talking so, about particularly. Um, essentially, they were talking about, um, I guess, King was willing to pay money for um they were t- I, think, I think the whole banker scenario was that supposedly someone killed one of their mi6 agents and king was putting out the money for them to get the um the name of whoever the assassin was or something like that and that, so this was all the small talk because they ended up getting the money back um instead but one of the things they found out uh is that because bond was kind of handling the money and all before walking into this scene when they were counting it all and checking it all in before he talks to money penny and walks in to talk to to m and meet king um they were checking the money out but this part of the conversation between him and m was just referencing like how she knew king and yeah like, i mean it's just what chit-chat. led up to all yeah, this it's yeah. chit-chat. but it had um, something to do with like money for I, an mi6 yeah. agent or something like that they were talking about some sort of mission thing between between mm-hmm. bond and him but either way at this point bond discovers poison question mark in his glass mm-hmm. and m orders money penny to stop king uh, some shit with the ice man i don't know this whole so, movie is blasphemy to me it's explained a little bit later but essentially there is a a chemical that was on the bills so when when bond goes to um before he walks into the room when the, they're checking the money all in and taking it to like the vault on mi6 uh for king to go pick up bond had grabbed some of the money and he was like handling it and put it in he got some of the chemicals that were on the bills on his hand and so when bond grabbed the ice and put the ice in his glass the chemicals started mixing with the ice and that's what bond noticed because it was starting to foam and it had a chemical reaction in his glass so he realized that there was some chemical on the bills so that's when he has m tell you know call money penny and say hey stop king and what we find out is when king walks in his um his pin that he's wearing had like a, a chip or something in it that ignited the money and I, I forget exactly how but something was there's like an electrical wire or something running through the money i remember that yeah. that causes it to explode yeah so um, the chip you paid way more attention it. during this opens opening sequence than i did by the way because it was just all going so quick i was like yeah. whatever let's just this move on to like, the dude that can't feel pain yeah this you was know. one of the things like when i watched it a lot when i was younger this whole opening scene um was something that i remember a good super bit. super super long opening scene by the way we're already long we're, we're almost as long recording this episode now than this whole opening scene was yeah it was a lot longer um, than normal. it was super super long i think it was like and i think i paused it when we hit the intro music and it was like 16 minutes into the movie before we yeah, even get to I mean, the intro song we haven't even gotten to that point we still have a whole nother like chasing exactly up. um but we'll be smooth through, through that really quick because as jordan explained it's not poison because eric wasn't paying very good attention during the movie <laughs> it was some chemical reaction stuff with the the the, the money um, they blew up the briefcase with yes. king and everyone so in the vault bond and the chases the building. chases king they jump through poops blah 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 run 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 King gets to the money, opens it up, and boom, things blow up before Bond could get there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we see a girl from a boat attempting to kill Bond because reasons. Yeah, it was kind of like Bond was kind of peeking out the wall and, and she just to started see what was going on. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, she, gets, she, gets, she gets all shooty-shooty with Bond. 
and uh, attempts to kill him and proceeds to run away in her boat. Bond immediately jumps in Q's new super awesome spy boat and gives chase. Um, all that I have during this scene is there's a lot of cool boat maneuvers, a lot of chases back and forth. Bond is getting completely soaking wet during this scene. Yeah, um, yeah. Bond flips over her boat in a super cool barrel way, barrel roll way, just because cool. it's cool. No other mm-hmm. reason. Um, <laughs> lady in the boat loses Bond after uh, exploding a police boat in front of him and blocking Bond's route. But Bond takes a shortcut. He uses the GPS in the boat to take the shortcut. And where does the shortcut take him? Straight through the city. That's right. This yes. boat becomes a car without wheels. And is very, very capable of driving its way through the city. Um, I did love, though, the cute little scene before he goes into the city of him, like, being an asshole and wetting the cops that were pulling somebody over. That was rude, but funny nonetheless. Um, I also, like, there's a scene where, if I'm not mistaken, it's before she gets through, or he goes through town, where he um, goes underneath a bridge. If I'm not mistaken, that was before he goes through the city. Isn't yeah, it? where he dives, he, he it, the, the boat yeah, turns yeah. into like a submersible thing, and he straightens his yeah, tie. He, it was it was a cute yes. little Bond moment as he pops back up. Yeah. I, I flash back to him doing it when he was driving the tank around. The yeah, city it's it's very much a, a, a Pierce Brosnan move. Um, yeah, very much a Pierce Brosnan move. But after he drives through the through the streets of the city, he intercepts the lady boat and launches torpedoes. She escapes the torpedoes at the last minute and hijacks a hot air balloon. Because, you know, that's always the best thing to do as a Absolutely. Villain. Bond proceeds to jump out of his boat, grabbing the hot air balloon's rope. Um, and while hanging, hanging from it, he barters with the lady to, you know, I can help you, turn yourself in, blah, 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 blah. No, you can't. You know, he'll, she'll, he'll kill me or whatever she says. And she, and she shoots the tanks and commits suicide by explosion as Bond falls onto the roof of a really awesome domed building in England that I forget the name of, but it's really yeah, cool building nonetheless, and catches himself last minute. And this is where we cut into the intro song, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I do love the fact that when he jumped out of his boat to catch the rope going up to the hot air balloon, the boat did like a weird like flip or something and just landed in the water and just kind of floated away. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, um, hmm. but interesting. Interesting. Intro song, man. What'd you think? So I thought it was decent. Um, the song wasn't too bad. It, it was pretty catchy. Uh, I mean, it was a good transition into the credits or the opening credits. Uh, the liquid is silhouettes is what I called them. I thought that was kind of neat. And I knew the, uh, a lot the, of the oily, blues and reds. The oily people. Cause it was very oily yeah. thing. Even like it was super colorful because that's how oil looks when it's standing, you know, the, yeah, the rainbow yeah. reflective stuff. Um, I think it's when like water hits it and all that. Yeah. 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 Very, very trippy intro. Very, very oily. Um, but I do, I, the song is, is, uh, is a very good bond song. This is, this is one of the bond songs that always sticks out of my brain. When I think bond, I think, the world is not yep. enough. Now, see, you know? tomorrow or the um, the last one was one that always catches in my head. But um, I, I do think I like this song a little better um, than Tomorrow Never Dies. But, yeah, I thought it was a decent song. I mean, like I said, the intro, they had your typical silhouettes. They used the good use of, like, reds and blues like they've done in the last couple of movies. It it was it was decent. I thought I don't think it was still one of my best or favorites, but it was still a pretty decent no, intro. I think the song's up there for me, but the intro as a whole is is. Yeah. I mean, it's all right, you know. I mean, I guess it set the tone. Like I said, like this intro was very long, but I I thought it did a good job at least setting the tone to what's to come in the movie. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, right after this, we transitioned to the funeral. So. Yes. 
So we cut straight into the funeral of King, um, and we see his daughter Electra there as well. Um, we cut rel pretty quickly to a briefing room where they are discussing the details of the bombing, and other agents are given files, and Bond's not because he's injured. He's off active duty, mm -hmm. less because of his arm injury from the uh, from the chase scene we saw before the uh, intro. Yep, he's um, off the case until he's cleared by medical. That's right, and we cut to Bond being quote unquote cleared by medical. With some sexy time with the doctor, yes. which quick note, because I will not cover this in uh, trivia time, but that is the only appearance of C Serena Scott Thomas as, wait for it, my new favorite Bond name, Dr. Molly Warmflash. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know her MI6's name. MI6's chief medical officer. Had to make a special jump in trivia time for that one because I loved that name so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was her name. Um, I mean, I know Bond goes in because he's got a dislocated collarbone and he has to pretty much seduce the doctor to get a clean bill of health. Make epic level sexy time. A lot of sexy time in this movie. I will say mm -hmm. that. A lot of sexy time in this movie. Um, and then, Jordan, we cut to... Bond walks down a room, or walks by his room where there's a bagpipe playing. But you know whose room this is, Eric? Whose room is this, Jordan? This is Q's room. <gasps> that must Kick mean it's... Kick off Q time! Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for Q time featuring The World Is Not Enough, Almost Said Tomorrow Never Dies. That's how much these <laughs> no, movies not that movie. flow We're together. Not that one again. We already did that one. <laughs> Wrong movie. But thank you for Wrong joining us for The World Is Not Enough, ladies and gentlemen. We have a couple very, very special items here for you. Not too many, to be honest with you. I only, I only want to focus on two major moments. First moment, number one, ladies and gentlemen. Jordan had already mentioned this. You saw bagpipes playing when you walked into Q's room, correct? Yes. Bagpipes. Very catchy. Great song. Beautiful instrument by some, annoying as hell to others. I have Scottish heritage, so I, you know, I did like, like myself a bagpipe. Like myself it's not a bad. Pipe. I mean, you know, you know, I got some too, bad. so I, mean, I, I kind of enjoy it. So, what makes a bagpipe better than a musical instrument? Than a musical instrument weaponizing it, ladies and gentlemen. That's, That's right. Great. The fine folks at Q Labs have done, they've won up the traditional bag, bagpipe. It's gone from being annoying to also being deadly annoying. <laughs> so whether you're at a Massachusetts police funeral march, because they always play bagpipes at those bad boys, or a Scottish wedding, make sure you have your bagpipe machine gun slash flamethrower with you at all times. Rowdy party gets out of hands. Shoot those bastards in the face. This would be the kind of weapon I recently watched. Uh, uh, um, uh, Dark Knight had the Joker had a bad bagpipe machine gun. He probably would have killed the mayor in that one scene where he took control of the police. We're switching franchises though, so let's kick it back to Q time. But anyway, the big item here that we have for sale, ladies and gentlemen, is is something that I would. It's probably the the one Bond gadget we've had. Um, throughout all of these episodes that I would absolutely, truly want in real life. And I have deemed it the Zorb jacket. That's Zorb. right, ladies and gentlemen. Are you familiar with the Zorb? That big, giant plastic hamster ball that looks super fun rolling downhill in? Well, it is. the Zorb jacket is exactly that, except for it's built into a jacket. So if you ever want to roll down a hill, protect yourself from falling objects or snow, as we'll get to in the near future... Get yourself a Zorb jacket. You pull the strap on the Zorb jacket and you get engulfed in a giant ball of cushy protection. So protection slash fun. 
the choice is yours with the Zorb jacket. Now, had I been a good Q-Time member, I would have done research on the price of Zorbs to rent in real life and use that as a quote for this current one, but I did not. So, ladies and gentlemen, for this episode of Q-Time featuring The World Is Not Enough, you can get your very own Zorb jacket for the low low price of what I would imagine would be about $1,200.99 to rent a Zorb in real life. Probably way the fuck off. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that was a real thing nowadays. Um, um, but no, so ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for Q Time. Q Time is not over, however, we just are done selling you products because we have a very, very touching moment in this episode of Q Time between Q and Mr. Bond himself. And we also have the introduction of a new character as well, which I will let Jordan take over on. So one of the other things that um, gadget-wise that we get that you see a little bit of is Bond's new car, which is introduced to him um, somewhat by Q, but also by our new guest. Or Yeah, yeah, I guess our new guest. Um, help me with the name because I always forget his name. John Cleese. Thank you, John, John Cleese. Cleese. Uh, from Monty Python and multiple other everything things else. throughout the years. Yeah, yeah. pretty much everything. Um, completely forgot he was in these movies until I saw him, and then it all came back to me. He was in this one and the next one and so on. Uh, but this is, you know, Q's new assistant slash trainee, the Q's, you know, teaching um, the ways of the Q labs and all that stuff. And I love it because Bond goes, well, if you're Q, does that make him R? So that's how I refer to him now is from is R. And actually in the ending credits, he's, he's credited also as R. <laughs> he's yeah. credited as R, which is great. Um, and so they go over this new BMW, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is a Z3 Roadster. Love the fact that BMW was kind of a small part in the Pierce Brosnan movies, but I still like the Aston Martins better for Bond. I mean, that is 100%. classic, iconic uh, Bond car. Mm. Um, but, you know, they go over the BMW, they you know, go over a couple things, and... This all is well and good, but what we lead up to this next scene is what I really, really enjoy. Bond starts to realize during all this that Q is definitely training his replacement. And Bond seems to pick up on that. He's like, Q, you're not going anywhere anytime soon. And Q has, what I think, one of the best lines I've ever heard him say in any Bond movie ever. And he goes, now listen up, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. Um, first, never let your enemy see you bleed. And, you know, of course, Bond goes, and what's the second? And Q goes, always have an escape plan. And he hits the trap door and, like, just kind of slowly goes back down with this little grin on his face. This was, like, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could cut out half the movie and just show me this, and I'd still probably enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, love the scene. Love the the sign off from this cue, um, you know, kind of like him in a way, kind of passing the torch, like ready to retire him as Q essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know we'll probably get into a little bit more about him later and trivia and so on. But uh, this scene I thought was really, really done well um, to kind of give you that heartfelt moment between the two of them, both as actors and as characters in this movie. Yep, a hundred percent agree. I mean, we've 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 all come to know know. I loved Q growing up, but we've all come to know know and love him just through Bond and Review, if nothing else. And it's it's we're we're at the passing of the torch moment, man. You know, we've 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 mm -hmm. he was the last holdout from the the origins of Bond. Oh, everyone else has been been long gone, but Q always remained with that yep. goofy smile on his face. I love him, love him to death. 
Um, but anyway, from here, from that touching send-off to, uh, to Desmond Llewellyn himself, we cut to Bond on a computer investigating Electric King's previous kidnapping from years ago. Um, Bond meets with M to talk about Bond not having access on the case. And M admits to a little bit of wrongdoing in her past when it came to King and Electra. Um, the terrorist that had kidnapped her back in the day is back. Renard the Anarchist. Mm-hmm. They give a bunch of brief details on him. Bullet in the brain makes him not feel pain and more de- dangerous every day until his inevitable death. The bullet slowly creeping him, creeping its way through his brain so he will die on his own eventually. But until then, he gains superpowers by not being able to feel pain, smell stuff, taste things. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he can still see in here, but it's yeah. all good. Anyway, the funny thing was his real name. I think was like Victor Zola, or something, something like, like that. that. But he's referred to as Renard throughout the whole movie. So, but from here, Bond's doctor shows up and he is medically cleared. Um, and M sends Bond on, assi- on assignment, but not before a very cute quip from Money Penny as well. Um, cut to Azure Azurbaijan. I don't know how to pronounce it. Azurbaijan. Um, Bond drives through some oil fields and spots a tree-trimming helicopter. Foreshadowing, if I ever saw it. Um, we will come back to that in the very near future. Actually, I'd not the near future. That's like right near the end of the fucking movie. <laughs> it's just, Yeah, a little bit farther on. But I'll tell you what, I wish we had those in queue time, because it'd be nice to have one of those for like the bushes around the house. Right, right. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, I think that's actually a real thing that they they use in like heavy forestry, forested areas to trim things. I think I don't know. I could be bullshitting. I have no well, idea. It makes sense until it gets <laughs> stuck and the whole helicopter goes crashing that's into true. the forest. That's true, that's true. Um, but Bond arrives while some locals um, are protesting Electra's arrival. Electra meets with some Muslim priest that seems to be the leader of these people, and they come to some sort of agreement. I, yet again, have no idea what's going on in this movie. So, <laughs> so what it ha- the short story here is King, like her father, originally laid out the uh, plans for this pipeline to go straight through that section through their church and everything. It was all going to get torn down. And Electra is like, I got you. We're going to fix this. We will reroute the pipeline, which the, the workers weren't too happy with. They're like, um, this is going to cost us billions. And your father already came up with this plan. This was already worked out. She's like, we're going to have to fix it because you know, she's here to save the day. So like this is that symbol of her being the good person. She's fixing the wrongs of her father type deal gotcha. and rerouting that pipeline around that monastery so that it doesn't have to be torn down. And that's why they're all happy and excited after looking like they were going to kill her. That's the agreement. In. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but after that agreement occurs, Bond and Electra have a little chat about her attempted assassination that may be going down. She reveals she's trying to build an an 800-mile uh, oil pipeline crossing all these dangerous areas as Jordan detailed. Um, mm-hmm. Bond and Electra then proceed to take a helicopter to the mountains to check on the survey lines and just start skiing. Cool. They they look at an oil pipeline yep. from a distance for all of about 10 seconds before ultralight snowmobile ultralights come out of nowhere for no reason. <laughs> yeah, they just... Um, and Bond and Electra sp- split up. This whole chase sequence, like, we're, we're back in snow for the first time in Pierce Brosnan. We've never had anything snow in Pierce Brosnan to, to date so far. Oh, yeah. Um, so, first time Pierce Brosnan's been in snow. And this is a 
very awkwardly uncomfortable slow chase because the ultralights yes. like are they're like they just like like in real life they just float around you know yeah it's so it's they're not very like a, a action to watch. in the air yeah yeah it's not very actiony to watch and then you've just got pond skiing away from these things so it's a yeah. very awkwardly slow chase um, it is. I mean, they try to spice it up a little bit with it, like some of them kind of cutting through trees and shooting at Bond while he's trying to ski in and out of trees. But really, Bond's doing all the work here. But then, in classic, classic <clears throat> Bond chase, vil- Bond Bond chase, um, in classic Bond chase scenes or I, style, whatever the word I'm looking style. For. Let's just go style. With style. Thank you. In, style in classic Bond chase style. Um, these snowmobile ultralights just start taking themselves out. They just, one crashes into a tree, another one crashes into something else. I don't think Bond ever actually takes out a single one other than a very particular snowmobile. One that had its eye ultralight. set out on Bond. Yes, one that was out for a vengeance, one might say. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Frank Joseph P. Hinchman the third. Is it well was in fact one of these super <laughs> slow snowmobile ultralight people, and as you know from from Frank's history, he's a Olympic caliber skier, you know, well known. Really worked with um, Blofeld up in the mountains of Switzerland or wherever the hell were, wherever the hell they were in in, in well, like on Her Majesty's many... Secret Service. That was only ten movies ago, or more. <laughs> I mean, there, there was tons of them. I mean, like every other movie back then was ski Indeed, related. indeed. But Frank has a great history with skis, and he decided to crank it up a notch in this movie and go for the snowmobile ultralight. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you may, if you remember from Tomorrow Never Dies, Frank's back in the henchman game. Frank was so yes. close to taking out Bond in the last movie with Rocket Launcher, and um, unfortunately he, he took out his fellow henchman instead. Um... Well, that that weighed pretty heavy on Frank's heart for for quite a while, actually. And he, he thought about retiring again, um, but he felt like he was getting better and better. And he saw the writing on the wall that eventually, eventually, the light at the end of the tunnel, he would finally get his revenge on that bastard 007. So mm-hmm. Frank went back out. He uh, He went back out. Got another job working for a different henchman since every other henchman he's worked for before has died. You know, you got to keep henchman game. You got to keep moving. You transfer jobs like every two years, (laughs) you know, you just keep moving. So he goes to work for Renard, the well-known international terrorist. And uh, Renard's very happy with Frank's um, uh, snow experience because they set up this this grand trap out of nowhere that's not revealed in any way of the shape of the shape of form in the story that it's ever going to happen but it does happen and frank's on the cutting edge of that ladies and gentlemen because of his ski experience and just like in on her majesty's secret service frank was trying to prove himself frank was the champion frank was the leader of the pack these other snowmobile people were taking themselves out left and right but not frank not frank no 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 frank's wise to bond shenanigans so as Frank is chasing down Bond, he's getting closer and closer. He's so close to taking Bond out. Bond does exactly what Frank anticipated. He turns, he pulls, you know, pulls to the left and leads that snowmobile off the cliff. 
Oh, that's right, because they eventually dropped yes, the parachute. They and dropped their parachute on the trail and was chasing them, snowmobile yes. style. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Frank is led off the cliff. But wait. This is not the end of Frank, Joseph P. Hinchman III. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, Frank is too smart for this. Frank pulls the lever in his, it, pull the, pulls the backup chute in his snowmobile ultralight and starts gliding back up to the top. He's turning around. He's making a hard turn, a, a hard right turn, left turn. He was turning in one direction. Don't remember which one it was. <laughs> but he was in turning, turning in a direction. And he turns, but... Before he can get back up to altitude to take a shot at Bond, Bond jumps down and uses his skis to cut a hole in Frank's parachute, causing Frank to unfortunately lose control. He's trying to regain regain control. He's careening. He's careening around. And all of a sudden, his dumbass friend, Bill, (laughs) Bill, Bill J. Mercenary. His buddy Bill J. Mercenary comes out of nowhere and their chutes become entangled with each other and they crash and explode in a spectacular fashion. And ladies and gentlemen, you may think this is the end of Frank, but at that exact moment, the explosion causes an avalanche to occur. And while Bond does use his hashtag Zorb jacket patent pending for Q Labs, to protect himself and Electra from the the careening um, avalanche, Frank too survived in the protection of the rubble of his crumbled vehicle, and Bill J. Mercenaries' crumbled vehicle and corpse as well. So Frank will return in Die Another Day, which I- is. Honestly, that's like Die Another Day. It's like should be the movie about Frank because he never dies today. No, no. He will always die another Another day. day. So, ladies and gentlemen, Um, thank you for joining us for the story of Frank P. Hinchman, the third. Frank Joseph P. Hinchman, the third. Yes. <laughs> I, I love when you come up with names. The, the little pause as the wheels spin and you start thinking of stuff. Like I, I'm curious to see who the next next person is in Frank's you know life. Um, like I'm waiting for something like a Merc. Just you know, I gotta I gotta I gotta I gotta go into a thesaurus and look up as many many um, alternate words for for Benjamin. <laughs> I'm, I'm running out. Mercenary bodyguard. <laughs> Again, as we said in previous episodes, 5% effort, Jordan. 5%. I do have to wonder, though. Frank has seen a lot. He has a very impressive resume. He does. He However, does. I, I feel like he doesn't have too many references. No, no. All of his bosses <laughs> just end up dying. <laughs> no one will vouch for Frank. Poor bastard. <laughs> I guess that's how he gets all these new jobs. Like, uh, well, you got an impressive resume. I'll have to take your word for it because no one's left to call. <laughs> um, but before we cut away from this scene, um, I mentioned the uh, the use of the Zorb jacket to protect from the avalanche. Mm-hmm. Um, I will. I, I do want to make a special, special touch in this scene that I thought was just hysterical. 
is inside the Zorb jacket, Electra is losing her goddamn mind. She yeah. is completely panicking. Mm-hmm. And Bond does calm her down and they escape to the surface. Um, and then we pretty much cut immediately away to Baku. And Electra is recover- recovering. I will say real quick before we, we jump into this next scene. I have to give credit to the cool um, Bond gadget watch that he had. Because I think this is the first time the watch has been used for a simple flashlight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you think about it. It's always like a grappling hook or detonator laser, or laser. You know. This is the first time where it's like pulls the jacket, the balloon thing pops up, and then it's like click turns the watch and it's a flashlight that just happens to light up the whole thing i mean it's, it's not something like that like thing. like watch flash watch flashlight i could buy as a legitimate you know yeah. military feature on a watch <laughs> yeah i mean that was like that was cool it's like hey yeah. i could actually use that in real life i'm like i want one of those yeah but that like, was one of the actual no, believable no. ones yeah and he just like clicks it it's on the best part though and i guess this makes some type of you know, sent somewhere. Is it like he pulls the cord, the thing inflates, and then as soon as Electra starts freaking out, he like pulls out his knife and like just starts stabbing it and starts like cutting a hole through the thing. I'm like, well, that was, you know, a waste of a cool jacket. It's a short lived jacket. And it lasts like five seconds. <laughs> but back in Baku, uh, Baku, 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 um, they have a little chit-chat back and forth, and Electra's like, listen, I guess somebody really is trying to kill me. I want you to stay with me. Bond declines the invitation and leaves to continue his inve- investigation. We cut to a casino. Like in all Bond movies, there has to be a casino, at least one, where Bond proceeds to look around using his super cool, awesome blue x-ray glasses and see everyone in this casino is packing heat, even the sexy mm-hmm. women. Everyone's packing heat. Uh, Bond goes up to a guard and requests to see Valentin Serkovsky. Yes, Valentin is back, ladies and gentlemen. I know, I was so excited. Um, the The guard declines and threatens Bond, and Bond is not having this. He immediately disarms him and pins him to the counter by his tie with a knife. It's a really quick scene, but really, really cool nonetheless. And then he, like, takes a sip of his martini right afterwards, Mm -hmm. trying not to spill it. Uh, and then, and then uh, another bodyguard comes out, aka uh, Grillface. I like to call him. Yeah, I didn't catch his name. So I, I don't remember either. But but Grillface comes out and is like, "All right, we'll take you to Sarkovsky. Grillface will come back later." Uh, Bond immediately goes in and begins begin, be, begins questioning Sarkovsky about Renard. They have a brief back and forth, and they see that Electra shows up on the security cameras. She shows up and proceeds to gamble with Sarkovsky for the sum of $1 million, one card draw, highest card wins, she loses, she decides to do this for reasons. Um, again, I don't really understand what's going on. I know they talk so, about it briefly later on at the end of the movie, so we'll get to that. But anyway, they leave and we cut to some inchin- We They leave and we cut to some henchmen bringing a fat dude and some other guy to Renard who begins his... Uh, biggest and baddest bad guy monologue of the whole movie and it only goes downhill from here unfortunately for him awesome monologue being big being big bad picks up a hot rock to show he feels no pain and questions why the plan to take out bond went awry uh and forces the non-fat guy to hold said hot rock 
and just holds it in his hand, says some creepy, terrifying thing, and orders another henchman to kill the fat dude. Fat dude's dead, hot rock guy survives and takes his place as head honcho of, 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 of henchman, you know, startup, corporation, <laughs> whatever. So, hot rock guy was, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but he was electric security guard. Yeah, head of, he was electric security. Or head of security, of security. Yeah. yeah. From here, we cut to Bond and Electra post-sexy time. Wait! Hold on. More sexy time. That's right. We cut to a scene after they're done having sex, and then they immediately start having yet more sex. (laughs) (laughs) Where she briefly ruins the mood by talking about how she survived her kidnapping all those years ago. Um, And then from right here, we cut immediately to Bond breaking in and investigating her security office. Hot Rock Handman shows up, and Bond discovers the body of the fat dude in the trunk of his car. Hothead man goes inside the security office and takes a briefcase and hops in, hops back in his car and drives to the airport slash dog pin place. There were dog pins there for some unknown reason mm-hmm. and opens the trunk of his car to disco- dispose of the body of fat dude. Fat dude's not there. However, it's James Bond in the back of the car. That's James right. Bond wastes no time by capping hot hand, hot rock hand man. Double taps him in the chest, kills him, takes him ID, takes his ID, and dumps his body. Um, thought that dude was going to have a much, much bigger role than 20 seconds on screen. Yeah, I thought so, too, because <laughs> I, I forgot about that until he popped out of the trunk. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy doesn't matter. Um, That's why I don't remember. Yeah. As soon as Bond uh, takes the ID and dumps the body, a guard walks up and orders him to follow him, assuming that this is the hot hand man they were waiting for. Nobody mm-hmm. checks ID in these movies. No, no, I mean, you would no. think if you were dealing in nuclear, illegal nuclear arms as an international terrorist, you would make sure well, you knew everyone that was involved in this situation. It, I guess in Bond's defense, uh, the security guard was promoted at the last minute right before all of this. I'm just saying, if I was an international terrorist, I would be a little bit more secure <laughs> with, with just photo ids if nothing else you would you would think that um, bond follows this guy assuming the identity of the hot hand man and the pilot takes some shoes from a bag that bond brought with him for some reason yeah i, I didn't get that either i mean like i was like all right um i'm guessing it was part of a deal or something whatever uh, i don't know they hop in a plane and as they're driving you know, they're, they're flying across wherever they're going bond is ordered to change and make sure he puts on the id Bond then goes into the bathroom and see we see a brief scene of him cutting his picture from his Universal Exports ID to replace the one on Hot Hand, Hot Hand Man's picture ID um, right before they land in Kazakhstan. Spycraft 101. That's right. Uh, they land in Kazakhstan and they arrive at a nuclear test facility where Bond meets another one of the best Bond names ever, Dr. Christmas Jones, dressed very much like Laura Croft Tomb Raider. Um, and mm-hmm. she's on to him. She she knows. She's like, your Russian's really your, your your English is really good for a Russian. She's on to him that he's not who he says he is. Who he says he is. Bond then goes in to investigate the facility, comes immediately across Renard and pulls a gun on him and begins to interrogate him. Um, Renard <clears throat> then threatens Electra's life and says some line that she also said to Bond when they were making sexy time. Uh, Bond um, is outed by Christmas Jones and the military that come in. 
and we see a brief clip of some of Renard's men taking the tracking chip out of the nuclear bomb that's down there as they're trying to transport it out. So the, <clears throat> the line real quick that's used by both of them, which is what Bond picks up on, is um, there is no point in living if you can't feel alive. Yeah. Electra said it when she was describing her kidnapping scene and like her, I guess, moving on and trying not to be afraid. And um, Renard says it when Bond's got, you know, gun to his head. Mm-hmm. And that's when Bond catches it. Yep. Um, there's a little bit of back and forth between the Russian military and Renard's men about, you know, nobody says who, who is, is who they say they are, blah, 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 blah. So throughout all this, while Renard's men are trying to transport the bond, they basically just immediately start the firefight. They're like, all right, the gig's up, whatever, let's go, while they're Mm -hmm. transporting it. Um, Bond proceeds to chase Renard and leaves Christmas Jones behind and jumps jumps through the door as it's closing behind them very, very quickly. Uh, Manages to take out the guard that had the chip on him and pocket the chip for himself. Meanwhile, Christmas Jones is hot wiring the door locks with a generator. We cut back into her, back and forth to her a couple times doing this. Big gunfight scene with Bond running through the hallway, chasing after Renard, and Renard manages to escape in an elevator, a bulletproof elevator, um, at the last minute. As he goes up, a bomb is triggered as his ele- elevator leaves. Renard escapes, and Bond. The, the, Renard escapes, the bomb goes, bomb goes off, and Bond and Christmas barely escape the facility by climbing up all these different areas, explosions going on around them, um, before the facility finally explodes. So a couple things real quick with this these scenes going on. Um, one thing I also want to point out, not only did Renard say the same line that Electra did, because I know this is like shadowing what's to come, but there's a part where right before the the Russian security guards are like hey no one is who they say they are we're all going to go back upstairs but right before the gunfight when Renard is talking to Bond um, about him trying to kill him he says I know you, you couldn't shoulder it and he pushes down on Bond's injured shoulder yeah he knew kind of like he, another he thing like Renard weak, knew his weak spot mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Um, I also really like when Renard's in the elevator and the bulletproof elevator. Why? I don't know. It's bulletproof. But when he's going up, I thought that was a really cool scene where it's like the camera's right on him and the elevator just goes up. The camera doesn't follow him. Instead, mm-hmm. it just kind of you just see Renard pointing down and Bond looks down as the cable from the elevator pulls, pulls the, the trigger for the, the pin. Bomb. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really cool. Then, of course, you know, Bond's classic Bond swinging from chains, you know. To, back to, through to was, was all pretty cool but yeah. uh i thought those those were cool scenes because i'm like oh that's that's pretty clever with the, the camera angle because normally when people move it's like you follow them up like as if yeah. you're watching them but instead it's like nope look down yeah the focus is hey. is on the bomb yeah <laughs> so uh-huh. i thought that was kind of cool how they threw that in there back in jolly old england m has a video call with electra about bond disappearing and request m to come to her aid Electra hears a noise when the call's over, and it's Bond that took out one of her bodyguards. He proceeds to interrogate her about her relationship with Renard and accuses her of Stockholm Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, she immediately denies it, and Bond is like, all right, but I don't buy it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're interrupted by a phone call where it's revealed that there was another attack on her pipeline. Yeah. 
We cut to M arriving as Bond M arrives and Bond updates her on the events and reveals his doubts about Electra. Um, yep. During this time, they discovered that the 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 remaining or the, that the um, the, the stolen bomb nuclear was, bomb yeah. is is being transported in Electra's pipeline, going to the main terminal. That if it exploded, it would take out you know so many people. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, it would have been a big disaster. Big disaster just for the pipeline. Yep. Um, <clears throat> Bond and Christmas Jones then go to the pipeline. She goes with them because, you know, she's a nuclear person. She can disarm it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, go to the pipeline and chase down the bomb through the pipeline using an awesome little drivey car, which I certainly hope exists in real life for pipeline maintenance. Don't know <laughs> if it does or doesn't, but I would love to go on one of those at least just once. Just, you know, race around the um, pipeline. And they look like they go stupid fast, too. <laughs> but didn't say it was like doing like 60, 70 miles per yeah, hour. Something like the that. Yeah, something like that. It was like, yeah. wow. I feel like that's very dangerous for one of those in a pipeline. You're right. I mean, you're talking about like highway speeds and a small pipe. <laughs> well, not really small, but still. Um, during this scene, we cut back and forth between them going, you know, catching up to the bomb in the pipe and a uh, conversation with M and Electra. And M admits that you know electra's like do you think he'll succeed and she's like you know i don't i don't know but he's the uh he's 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 the best that we have you know yeah. but i'd never let him i'd let i'd never let him know that yeah um so back in the back in bomb tube i'm gonna call it bond <laughs> and christmas uh hook up with the uh with the nuclear device and make attempts to disarm it they discover that half the plutonium is missing and while yep. the bomb would still cause damage it would not go nuclear as they had originally intended while christmas is attempting to disarm it bomb says no 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 let it explode and they bail bail off of the sled and the bomb explodes in the middle of the pipeline not at the main hub you know blowing a hole in the pipeline and it's assumed that bomb and christmas jones had died um, in the explosion and the turn happens instantly the moment that the explosion happens and we cut back and they're like oh mm, sorry bombs died bomb dead bomb bond died from <laughs> bombs yes it's tricky isn't I it this it is why there. this is why we bond and bombs in the same sentence right this is very tricky right um but once bond is dead uh electra immediately flips flips script pulls out a nice gift for him from her father which was his pin that was used as the trigger for the bomb at MI6. His actual pin. His not real the one pin. With the chips, his so real she pin. reveals that she was, in fact, the, the one, one that swapped. set her father up, swapping the pins, um, killing her own father and blowing up part of MI6 in the process. Her henchmen immediately turn and kill all of M's people. Electra begins to monologue, much like Renard did earlier. A lot of monologuing between these two. Um, not as good as the last movie, though. Not at all. And M is taken captive. Back in old um, uh, Pipe Dream. Don't remember what I called it the first time, so we're going with Pipe Dream this time. Back in Pipe Dream, Bomb and Chris, Bond and Christmas <laughs> Jones <laughs> leave the pipe, and Bond shares his theory about Electra and Renard. Uh, we cut briefly to Renard arriving in Turkey and meeting Electra as she reveals that she has a gift. They have a gift for each other. Renard brings the remaining half of the nuke, you know, the, the plutonium, plutonium yeah. and Electra reveals that she has captured him. I love, uh, right before we cut from bond and Christmas, 
you know, when Bond's revealing the plan, his suspicions of Electra and all that, he 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 actually says a reference of like, you know, I th- I feel like I've missed something. He's um, and she's like, what was it? And he's like, Beluga caviar. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like that's his reference. Is like, uh, I think I missed something with Valentine. He's like, I need to go back. <laughs> Which means we're um, going back to Valentine, mm-hmm. uh, but not before the Renard scene where Renard is left alone with M, and he reveals his whole plan to M, telling her that by noon tomorrow, the bomb will go off. They will be Electra will be the richest woman in the world for oil and blah 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 and reasons. Um, yeah. And M will be dead. Sets up a nice little clock for her to watch her time click down. Um, <clears throat> and uh, once he leaves the room, Electra's henchman obviously did not search him because she still has the tracking chip for the bomb on her, mm-hmm. which Bond gave her in the previous scene. Um, so they don't search people very well in this in this industry. A lot of a lot of oversight in the uh, Electra Renard. Um, terrorist uh international terrorist organization slash corporation slash i feel yeah oil business these these are the notes you need to take so that when we have your own evil franchise um (laughs) you know what not to do yeah yeah a lot of look at at the the history of frank i mean there's plenty of right right a lot of oversight um so we cut briefly to Renard and Electra making super weird, super creaky, creepy, bad guy, sexy time with him not feeling stuff and all sorts of back and forth. Um, we cut briefly to M attempting to the pull the pull the clock in front of her cell closer, and it falls to the ground just out of reach. We'll come back to this. M's a M's a tricky old minx. Yes, she is. She's a tricky old minx. Uh, we cut to the Caspian Sea where good old Valentine Serkovsky arrives at his caviar factory with his henchmen. Mm-hmm. One of his henchmen, a.k.a. Grillface, sees Bond's car and calls and reports it to Electra. Bond immediately jumps in using, using Christmas Jones as a distraction in his office and interrogates Valentine about his relationship with Electra King. While they're having their little conversation back and forth, it was a business deal, whatever went yep. on. Uh, what's yeah, the business the whole... deal, Jordan? Give us a quick breakdown. Um, so it was a payoff, um, and Valentine's or Valentine, uh, one of his relatives, I can't remember if it was a cousin or something, is like the his head captain Vinny. of a, a submarine that Electra and all them use or want to use to deliver this plutonium. However, Valentin doesn't know that they're planning to blow the submarine up. They thought they were just using it for transport. So Valentin didn't have all the details. But essentially, the money drop at the casino uh, was just a payment for this setup. Um, But they have kind of worked together in the past and all that, and they have good connections up until now, as far as Valentin knows. Uh, but essentially, that's what it was. It was just a payoff for him to hook up the submarine with them and all that. Gotcha. Which is why we get to the submarine in the uh, in the in the next couple scenes, but mm-hmm. not before Valentine and Bond's conversation is interrupted by the Sawblade helicopters mm-hmm. tearing through the factory, causing an epic fight to break out as Bond proceeds to try, attempt to run to his car. Manages to get to it after all sorts of explosions and things getting cut in half and stuff going all over the place happens. 
Um, he gets to the car and he backs it up and destroys one of the helicopters with missiles as another blade helicopter comes from behind, cutting his car in two as he jumps out just in the nick of time. A lot of one, another thing that I've, I, I, I forgot about in the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies is not a lot of car play. Not no. a lot of car play. The cars are like in there for like two scenes and they usually yeah. get destroyed. And then for the rest of the movie bonds without the car, um, which is fine. It's just something I completely forgot about. <clears throat> yeah, it's very true. Yeah. I, I, I picked up on that. I think yeah, actually probably this movie, because I noticed it in the last one, I'm like, well, they mainly use it for the garage scene and some, you know, behind, um, and in Goldeneye, it was only driven once. It was never yeah, nothing that was ever like happened. At the very beginning. And I think yeah. Jack Jack White took it or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, he doesn't use them that often, which I, I did notice that in this last movie. I think if uh, I remember, I think the next movie, Die Another Day, it's it's a much heavier. There's like a whole car chase thing in there. Yeah, there is in that correctly. one. So they use <clears throat> a little bit more in the next one. But yeah. uh, as far as these go with the BMWs and all, they're not used more than a couple of scenes or like a section of the movie. Yeah. That's it. I bet there's something um, to do. I bet if I did some more digging on trivia time, I could find some sort of contract deal as to like a limit on what they could do with the cars. I mean, I um, don't know, but I mean, like you said, he literally bond gets to the car and of course this is a cool one. It's, you know, remote activated like the other one was to a point. Cause it like automatically moves up and stuff and he gets in and he uses the cool, like the horn turns into a little, like like pre video game essentially with a yeah tracking like a devices. tracking thing yeah. for for the for the missile, <clears throat> but um of course like you said it doesn't last long. Hel- another one helicopter comes behind him, cuts the car in half, and you know mm-hmm. his comment is Q's not gonna like this. Exactly. <laughs> um, after that he hops out and there's a lot of firefighting happening, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of stuff going around, gunshots being fired. Well, as I say, I think the other helicopter dropped off some. Um, some like a team, yeah. yeah, a team of henchmen, like a SWAT team or something. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Valentine makes it back st- back to his car and promptly drives his car into the ocean uh, because a helicopter cuts the dock behind him as he's going. <laughs> yeah. And he hops out. Him and Christmas Jones become begin swimming back to shore, if you will. Uh, Bond manages to explode the last helicopter as the blades fly off of it and nearly take out Valentine numerous times forcing him mm-hmm. to fall into a bunch of goo, which we realize in a moment is actually his caviar or the dregs of his caviar because caviar doesn't look like that. <laughs> I also love during this whole scene from like the beginning when Valentine first walks in up until this point, Christmas is just chilling with Valentine during this the whole, whole thing. The whole you know, time. Like, she, she's just found out previously that bond is a spy i mean she's okay to jump into the pipeline with him she's okay to go to meet other known criminals and run around during firefights so she's she's pretty cool for you know being she's a right. nuclear expert just jumping into the spy world all of a sudden you know props to her but after valentine falls into the goo bond continues to inter- interrogate him yeah, I think that's where you, you actually find out about the whole sub and his cousin and all that. Yeah, that's where you get all, the, all of that information. And uh, Bond gives Sarkovsky his, his cane to you know to help him out. The henchman comes in and, and helps. Uh, Grillface comes in and, and helps Sarkovsky out. And they all escape as the factory falls apart. Mm-hmm. Cutting back to Renard as he watches a barge. And we cut down underwater, underneath the barge, where we see there's a sub waiting. It rises to the surface 
underneath Renard's super awesome island house thing that has its own sub bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Renard greets the sub with food and drink. <clears throat> Meanwhile, we cut briefly back to Valentine, Bond, and Christmas Jones, who are tracking the possible locations of where the sub could be f- from Istanbul. So, I don't. I'm sure you'll probably pick up on this, but do you notice when the sub docks, uh, Renard and all greets the crew and all, and they bring them all like refreshments, like yeah, that's food what I said. And drinks on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I said did, Renard greets them, greets the sub with food and drinks. Yeah. Did you catch what the purpose of all that was? Yeah, because towards the end of it, yeah, I'm, I'm get, I get that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. one of the things like I didn't catch it at first until later oh. the next couple scenes. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, no, so, I got like, it. Like I missed that at first. Um, we will get there in a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but we cut back to Bond, Valentine, and Christmas Jones tracking the possible locations of the sub from Istanbul, and. Electra pops back into M's prison cell to have a brief little chat. M is like, would you, would you, you know, what time is it? Referencing the clock that had been knocked over on the ground. I want to know how much time I have left. Mm -hmm. Electra picks it up and puts it on the bars of her cell and leaves the room. When they leave, M immediately grabs the clock, takes it apart and uses the battery from the clock to activate the tracking chip of which Bond and Valentine immediately pick up on it that yes. it's being transmitted. Um, again, dumbest henchmen and people ever, ever. You didn't search the leader of the spy organization to see if she had anything on her. <laughs> you let her near electronic devices. I mean, dumb. Um, but anyway... Uh, where was that? Where's that? They immediately pick uh, up on it. Meanwhile, yeah. back once they pick up on that, they they have a brief conversation. They turn around and they see there's a a briefcase there, and Valentine's henchman grill face is nowhere to be found. Bomb immediately picks up that that's a bomb, and jumps out of the way, but not before we see Sarkovsky lying injured, not moving on the ground. Is he dead? We'll get to that in a moment. Bond jumps out and immediately starts chasing Grillface, but it's captured instantaneously um, mm-hmm. and taken to Renard, who when he's who Renard's new home, who we see briefly had poisoned the food and drink for the sub. The sub semen is what I have in my notes, which is accurate. <laughs> Sounds horrible, but that is an accurate statement for the sub semen. And they are all dead. Renard's plant. Renard's men hop in to take their place and Renard and Electra have a brief goodbye as Renard goes to get on the sub to his death via nuclear explosion. Uh, Cause this is a suicide mission for him. He knows he's dead anyway. So yep. uh, Electra then greets Bond and Christmas as Christmas. They Electra greets Bond and Christmas Jones and orders Christmas Jones to be taken to Renard. Uh, Bond at this point says the name of the movie. <laughs> well, so what I like she about the like, scene, I would have given you the world or something. And he's like, the yeah. Not so enough. what they, what they do with Bond is they put him in like this torture chamber, which like, yeah, as she's doing chamber. her little monologue and all that, like, I guess she keeps cranking that wheel, which just pushes like a little bar, like right at like the back of his spine, like underneath the skull, yeah. like right in the back of his neck. Mm-hmm. 
and so she keeps cranking and cranking it and like during this whole monologue you know she does mention she's like you know i could have given you the world and bond's like the world's not enough which you know, but i mean he says it very very well like this was a good scene it was actually a lot better than some of the other campy yes. uh, um self titles which i'll throw back a little bit on this we'll pop into a brief moment of trivia time for this scene in particular uh, the world is not enough, and his saying of that line is a direct reference from the family crest that was generated, the family motto that was generated for Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service when he was going undercover, which the family mo- the oh, family yeah. model in Latin was the world is not enough. I forgot all about that. Yes. I remember they hit on the family crest, and I, I forgot all the details mm-hmm. on it. Uh, so, yeah, bond, Bond's now Bond's on the torture rack, Electra's monologuing. We hear some gunfire start outside. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Valentine and friends. He's I'm not so happy dead. to see him come back. Yay! Or at I least know, he's so not happy. dead for a moment. Um, Spoilers. He instantly kills his former henchman, a.k.a. Grillface, and goes up to find Bond and Elektra. Elektra wastes no time in shooting Valentine, but he well, is he, a tough bastard. I was going to say, because when Valentine comes in... Bond makes some reference, but before that, Valentine sees that she's wearing his cousin's cap. Like, yes. you know, so he, so Valentine knows something's up. Yes. Um, yeah, but she kills. She she shoots Valentine, but he is one tough bastard, and has one final move in his in his in his repertoire, and uses his cane gun to line up a shot Epiphone. at Electra. And then he turns his gun towards Bond and fires, missing Bond, but hitting him in his in his restraint. Electra makes a reference going, wow, I was the one that shot him, but he must really hate you since his last Mm. move was to try and kill you. Uh, um, Electra gets all close and sexy with Bond and Bond uses that opportunity to escape as she gets close she immediately runs away and bond begins begins chase finding him along his along the way and freeing her and i love how it was done where he was just running upstairs and you hear him go bond you know cuz i mean who yeah, else like is, a holler. who mm-hmm. else is shooting shit in the hallway it's bond yeah. right um and he pops in the room real quick just lines up a shot shoots the lock and keeps running and he keeps on going you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> Which, i did uh, enjoy that too hey listen you know i'm freeing you but you you know i i'm chasing people right now I got yeah. shit to do. Uh, Freeze around along the way. He finally catches up to Electra and orders her to call off the attack with Renard. She doesn't believe that Bond would kill her. He believes Bond loves her. So she shouts into the mic, you know, to Renard, you know, don't stop or something. Pretty and Bond instantly double taps her in the chest. And she right dies. as M walks up too. Right as M shows up in the room. We have a brief moment where Bond looks like he has regret or whatnot, where he looks over her. And then, but wait, there's no time to waste. There is a sub about to, you know, go underwater and and, and, and explode wherever it may explode. Again, plans of this movie don't make a lot of sense. I I know they said it, but I didn't write it down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, um, Bond dives down into the water after the sub as it begins to make its descent and sneaks aboard and frees Christmas Jones very, very quickly. Um, and they, together, they take over the communications room, but not before an alarm triggers. 
The alarm triggers, they take over the communications road room, which throws the sub off course and it becomes heading literally straight down to the seafloor. <laughs> so, straight down, it crashes into the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. What I, what I love about this is their plan is to get the sub to surface because once it's surfaced, the satellites will be able to pick up its location and send in the, you know, the Coast Guard, Navy, whoever, to help them, you know, give them backup. Well, when Bond starts his gunfight in the middle of the control room and he hits the lever, he puts it in the wrong direction. Never happens. Because yeah. I love that when they're in the hall, like after he gets out of the room, he's in the hall. And Christmas is like, so we're going up. He's like, oh, slight miscalculation as it like nosedives into the floor. Never mind. We are going down. <laughs> I, I love that scene. I love how she just puts her head around. She's like, uh, so we're going up, are we? <laughs> um, as it crashes to the uh, to the bottom of the seafloor it begins to flood and that's where we have that fun line where they're climbing up the sun and the, the way the angles mm-hmm. of the scenes are is, is pretty cool. Uh, Renard manages to make his way back to the plutonium and locks himself in with the reactor bond and Christmas Jones come up with a plan of bond sneaking outside of the sub to kind of get in behind Renard into his, into his area. So that's what they do. Bond holds his breath and he goes diving outside the sub and cracks open another door mm-hmm. and gets in. Meanwhile, Christmas Jones drains the chamber when Bond gets in, gets into the, uh, Not at ba- first. back into the sub. Took some, <laughs> took it a minute, but she did manage yeah. to drain it. Because uh, the room uh, they were in floated even Bond more jumps, and she got sucked away. Ex- yeah, yeah. Um, Bond jumps down and we engage with final fight with Renard. Final fight time. Relatively boring final fight. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan of this fight scene. No, like they throw like three punches and then Bond hops off to the hop, hops off to the side for a minute to crack open the door, rescuing Christmas Jones from drowning. Um, and then bon, Renard pretty much instantaneously traps Bond and don't know what happens to Christmas Jones. She's just somewhere during all of this. She was just kind of like off to the side when she got in. But Renard traps Bond and attempts to insert the plutonium into the reactor. A, uh, during this time, a hose breaks loose and Bond reconnects it, depressurizing the core and launching the two plutonium rod back into Renard's chest, killing him. Mm-hmm. Bond and Christmas then proceed to flood the reactor and you know, launch themselves out of the torpedo bay before the sub explodes and they swim to the surface. Once they breach the surface, we cut back to jolly old England and MI6 where M arrives and we find out everyone's searching for Bond. They can't, they can't find Bond. Mm-hmm. We cut to Bond and Christmas sharing champagne amongst a backdrop of fireworks. And MI6 is looking for them, looking for him via satellite. You know, oh, we found the car. They're, they're, they're here. Oh, we found Bond. Well, why is he, why is his body getting redder and it's redder? Because he were using the infrared. They were using, yeah, yeah, um, infrared why is his body getting redder and redder and then all of a sudden we see legs and arms like spread out and you see those two bodies they we see we see that what they found on this infrared camera was not bond ladies and gentlemen it was in fact the beast with two backs (laughs) that's right they were making the sexy time like all bond movies end, or at least the best ones in in sexy time and that is where we get the Arguably the best ending line of a Bond movie when it comes to sexy time is 
There was a couple of them. Are you talking about the unwrapped Christmas present? I thought Christmas or? only comes once okay, a year. Yeah. I had that one too, but I, at first she said something about unwrapping his present or something yeah, too. Yeah. So there, there was a couple uh, Christmas lines thrown in all at the end, uh, which throw back to the beginning when they first meet, when she first introduces herself. She goes, you know, I saw him so so as a doctor, um, Christmas Jones. And she's like, don't make any jokes because I've heard them all. He's like, well, yeah. I don't know any doctor jokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that. And then you get the actual <laughs> Christmas jokes here at the end. So, like, yeah. I thought that was a, a great ending. Um, and I did and, like during this while R was trying to, you know, locate Bond and this and that. And you finally realize there's two bodies. You see M go, 007. Like, yeah. she's like, what are you doing? And, and R pulls a, a typical cue goes oh i think we lost the feed and like cuts yep. and we're done <laughs> here uh, and then we cut yes, to yes. credits we cut to credits the and end. i am so glad so glad this movie did not end in the water it almost did it could no. have no it they really heard our last podcast somehow from the future because you know time and all that <laughs> stuff and they realize hey we can't do this in the water so we we got to change it up and put it on a rooftop instead. They must have got my memo. I, I don't know. It's the only thing I could think of. <laughs> um, so, yes, we did not end in the water. Thank you. Thank you. So tired of boat ending scenes. <laughs> but, yes, credits roll. James Bond will return in Die Another Day. I'm gonna die another day. Yeah, I don't remember the intro. I'm sure I will I, when I watch it, but I don't remember. I, the intro I remember that one. I, I don't. I will when I, I that movie out of the Pierce Brosnan. Um, between that one and this one, I remember the least. I remember bits of the movie, like different scenes and all, and I, and I remember rough story plot. So I, I, but everything else is just blurred between that the next movie and this movie all blurred together. Like, yeah. like the whole Valen scene and the caviar scene, I was getting confused because originally I thought it was in the last movie, then I thought it was in the next movie. So a lot of yeah. these do blend together this, for me. This this movie, World's Not Enough for me, is is the most forgettable one. But like as I said at the beginning of the beginning of the review, these three bond like with the, with the exception of Goldeneye, man, it's just like they just blur. It's just all, it's all the same thing, you know, and we haven't even gotten to die another day. And I, I can already think no. just on my memory, like, yeah, it's the same, same shit, different day. Pretty um, much, yeah. So, um, so that's mean, it, Jordan. Things, yeah, that's it for The World's Not Enough. This was an interesting movie. It had its ups and downs. There was things I really enjoyed about this movie. There was things that I could have done without, um, as anyone who's listening has kind of followed with us. There is some rough patches where it's very easy to tune out what is going on in this movie. Q, one of my favorite scenes. Um, the whole Q time, Pierce Brosnan's Bond, loved all that. Uh, the story was not the greatest. I mean, I liked the whole angle of King being the good person and, you know, then turning to be the <clears throat> evil person at the end. I did kind of like that twist. But all in all, the villains just didn't seem that strong in this movie. It was just a lot so. of, like, for me, it was a lot of who cares. Like, you yeah. just, there was no weight to any of it. There was no logic. Nothing made sense. It was it was scattered. It was all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you introduce Christmas Jones, who's like the Bond girl of the movie, halfway through the movie, because... 
they I mean I'm sure they did that because they were trying to get people to believe it was you know Electra was was the Bond girl of the movie but it just it just mm-hmm. didn't like just honestly like not very much of this movie worked for me I I, I Aside from yeah, aside from Pierce Brosnan as 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 Bond and and Valentine and and Q, yeah, I'd say, yeah. loved you know. Valentine, loved having him back, and that was like some yeah. of my favorite things. But um, Valentine, Q, Pierce Brosnan as Bond, I was I was okay with with Christmas Jones. I mean, I, agree I like the Christmas story Jones. was kind of yeah. rough mm-hmm. as, as far as her intro and all, like you said, his time frame goes. But I, I liked her as a, a character in the the movie, and it holds up. And M obviously M had more appearances in these movies than I think Emma ever does up until, well, I guess mm-hmm. when you get into Daniel Craig's M she's in there a lot too. in Daniel Craig. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, and even in the later Daniel Craig's when they have a new M, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, that M's in it. So I, I guess up from Pierce Brosnan on M, M the character is in the bond movies a lot more, I guess. Yeah. So, but all in all, I guess it wasn't too bad. So I guess with that, let's get into trivia so we can, rank of this movie somehow i guess <laughs> it's trivia 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 time Da-da-da. that's right ladies and gentlemen welcome to trivia time featuring the world is not enough i the world might not be enough but i have had enough of this movie ladies and gentlemen uh, <laughs> trivia fact number one Desmond Llewellyn, a.k.a. Q, died in a car accident soon after this movie was released. Llewellyn said just before his death that he was intending to appear in the next Bond movie. Um, But, of course, his inevitable death via car accident prevented that from happening. Llewellyn was featured as Q in 17 Bond movies over 36 years. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Damn. God love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, fact number two, the adjusting of the tie underwater by James Bond in the opening boat scene was mm-hmm. con- conceived by Pierce Brosnan. It was his idea to do that. Um, <clears throat> the tank. I just kept thinking the tank. Yeah. I saw that. Scene. I it, love that it, scene. Honestly, it was probably something that he did subconsciously as a character in that scene and thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. So wanted to bring it back for this. And it fits his bonds. So it does well. very much so. Very much so. Um, I already mentioned this, but the On Her Majesty's Secret Service reference for Orbis Non Sufficient, which is the world is not enough, which is the uh, um, family motto for for George Lazenby's Bond. Uh, next fact: This is the highest grossing of all James Bond movies released in the twentieth century. It's also the last Bond movie to be released in the twentieth century. Hmm. Um, next fact all of the pipes that you see representing Electra's pipelines as they're flying over them in the snow or whatnot were made of cardboard (laughs) that's gonna be my my favorite trivia of all time (laughs) you like the delivery I do yes made of cardboard it's just made of cardboard (laughs) Um, Uh. Uh, yeah, that's, Dr. That's Christmas Jones, Denise Richards, um, wore a green tank top and shorts that was written as an intentional nod to the video game icon Laura Croft, which I yeah. thought was awesome. I, I had her dress like Laura Croft in my notes before I even got to trivia time, so I'm really glad to see that was uh, that it was intended. 
Um, that is pretty cool. Yeah, James Bond. James Bond was an influence behind the character of Laura Croft when they were creating the the the, the character for the game. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know. Uh, Roger Spottiswood, who directed Tomorrow Never Dies, was asked to direct this film, but he turned it down, feeling tired after the chaotic production that occurred on Tomorrow Never Dies, as you guys remember from the last trivia. Yeah, that's right. It was a rough show, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the ski parahawk attack scene, which was the snowmobile ultralights that I like to call them, was inspired by the ski chase scene in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Filmmakers wanted to connect this movie with that one for which, from which its title was derived. So they wanted to throw in references to On Her Majesty's Secret Service because mm-hmm. that was where they got the name of this movie from. In its opening weekend, this movie completed, com- competed, not completed, competed with Sleepy Hollow. However, both survived mm-hmm. the fierce competition, each movie collecting over $30 million dollars in the opening weekend ending up being ended, both ending up, ended up being huge box office successes nice um next fact this movie is was also selected for the first round of nominations for the academy award for best visual visual effects that year but failed to win and that is it uh my final fact is a revisit of something i said at the very beginning of this this episode because and I'll reiterate reiterate it again because it's now in my top five favorite Bond names. MI6's chief medical officer was once again named Doctor Molly Warmflesh. That's right. That's right. Uh, and right, that's so, it for trivia time. That being said, it is now ranking time. <sighs> Read us off the list. I know it's a long one. The list is as follows. Number one, GoldenEye. Number two, From Russia With Love. Number three, You Only Live Twice. Number four, The Spy Who Loved Me. Number five, Thunderball. Number six, License to Kill. Number seven, For Your Eyes Only. Number eight, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Number nine, Goldfinger. Number 10, The Living Daylights. Number 11, Dr. No. Number 12, Tomorrow Never Dies. Number 13, A View to a Kill. Number 14, The Man with the Golden Gun. Number 15, Octopussy. Number 16, Moonraker. Number 17, Live and Let Die. Number 18, Diamonds Are Forever. That is a long list. Where are we putting... The convoluted chaos that is the world is the not world's enough. enough. Uh, this, this is a hard one because, like I said, it, <clears throat> it, to me, it was uh, you know a flashback growing up with these movies. You know, I love them in their own way, but this one was not as good as movie as uh, the previous two Brosman movies. Um, I mean, there are good things about it, but the story was kind of eh, all over the place. The villains just. I like I liked Electra becoming the villain, like you know she was the villain the whole time. I liked that play, but I don't think she felt like a villain, nor did I think Renard felt like a villain when we first introduced uh, or are introduced to Renard. Yeah. I'm like, man, he's gonna be a great villain, and then like we said before, it's downhill from there. So he doesn't at all feel like a villain. He just feels like a guy in the way. It's um, just yeah, it's just it's, I mean, it's rough, man. <clears throat> It's rough. Um, Pierceman as as Bond was was good. Um, obviously, that's 
a giving. So, I mean, that was like the only strong thing. I mean, Valentine coming back and all that, all this stuff that doesn't really matter for the rankings. Um, the fact was, is when we had decent gadgets and we had a good bond, everything else was kind of rough in this movie. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was, um, I mean, I don't think I can say any more than what I said earlier in the episode is that it's, it's just, I, I think my notes speak for themselves. The number of the, the number of times I said while we were doing the plot of, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think that says enough for the movie. And it, it wasn't that I just legitimately couldn't follow the movie. I absolutely could follow it. It's just none of it. Like it's just, it's so much who cares. Yeah. It's so much like, Oh man, like, are we here again? Are we, why do I care about this dude? Why do I care about this? Yeah. There was a couple the times guy. Why do I, I mean, it just, it's a whole lot of why do I care? Yeah, there was a couple times I had to go back and be like, all right, um, what was just happening? I got to put this down in my notes. So that's like the only reason why I caught a couple of the things that happened was like I went back and was like, all right, pause, rewrite my notes, rewind a couple of minutes. What did they just say? Okay. Like there was a couple of things that I missed that I had to go back and rewatch to catch it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. It was, it was kind of hard to get through the, the story plot of it and, and at times. Yeah. Um, so I would say just for the sake of argument, let's start this at number 12 with tomorrow never dies. Was, is it better than tomorrow never dies? No, I like tomorrow never dies better. Agreed. Is it better than a view to a kill? A uh, view to a kill. That was Zorn and made it. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I kind of like that one better. Is it better than the man with the golden gun? I like that one a little better too, even though that, I mean, the, the, the problem I had with that one was that, and I've said this in multiple movies, is that it was more just the bad guy competing against Bond to see yeah. who was better. It didn't have like that villainous plot. Even this one. Even then, I'd, st- I'd rather watch that than, than, than Yeah, this. it was still a little bit more enjoyable movie. Yeah. At least, I mean, this one had a plot to it, which was similar to Goldfinger and stuff like that. It was kind of like, hey... You know, I want to take out these other pipelines so we become super rich. And it was kind of like personal, kind of like Goldeneye was against MI6 and M. But it just wasn't executed properly. So it just it doesn't, even though it had a, a decent idea for a story, it just didn't carry out the weight. It didn't at all. It, it didn't at all. So, I, so yeah, so it's, it's below the man with the golden gun. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where it gets interesting. Is it better, is it better than Octopussy? Hmm. Honestly, it's kind of like on par, in my opinion. I mean, it's like, it's like right there. I mean, so, so is it better than? We'll we'll go one more down the list real quick, just for just for continuity con, continuity's sake. Um, is it better than Moonraker? I liked it better than Moonraker. Agreed. Okay. I just wasn't so a big fan of Moonraker, though. So where we are then is 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 it number fifteen? Is it better than Octopussy or not? Um. I, I think it's pretty close. Like I can see it go either way. There were some things I enjoyed about this a little bit more than Octopussy, but at the same time, yeah. that movie, they both kind of, their stories were kind of all over the place and scattered in both movies. So yeah. they're very similar. Um, I think I would rather, I think I would rather rewatch this than rewatch Octopussy. You know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to because I think they're so close in quality. You know, there were bad villains in Octopussy. There were scenes that didn't make sense with Roger Moore, you know. And, and but I think 
I think I would rather rewatch this movie than than rewatch Octopussy. So for me, it would be just above Octopussy. But like, I mean, and like I said, I'm but I'm like splitting hairs, man. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, really, I'm the same. And I think honestly, nostalgia for the '90s Bond movies is the only thing that makes me put this above Octopussy. Yeah, I was gonna say if I had to choose, I mean, just out of the two movies, I, I do enjoy watching Pierce Brosnan as Bond, um, even in this movie. A little bit more than Roger Moore and Octopussy. I mean, like I said, we we did say Roger Moore had high highs and low lows. So, I mean, I'd probably say the same thing. I'd probably pick this one over Octopussy. But it's almost tied between those two. Well, I, I think that says it, man. So the new number 15 is The World Is Not Enough. I guess uh, we'll jump into the villain list then. We're on villains. So, current list. Starting at number one, Goldfinger and Oddjob from Goldfinger. Um Alec Chavant. <laughs> Can I, I don't even want to. Just, I'm just going to do Alec. And, if we remember uh, from the last Zeta episode, Alec Trevani of Trevani's Restaurant, Family Restaurant and Grill. Was the, the Get your Trevani special pasta. Too. As soon as I start saying, I'm like, Trev, Trev, now that's not right. Trevelin. Alec no, Trevani. Trevelin. Tre, Trevani. Uh, number three is number two from Thunderball. Number four is Sanchez and Dario from License to Kill. Five is Stromberg and Jaws from The Spy Who Loved Me. Six is Christasso's Locke and Eric from For Your Eyes Only. Seven, Zorn and Mayday from A View to a Kill. Eight is the Spectre General and Red from From Russia with Love. Nine is Drax and Jaws Moonraker. 10 is Blowfield from You Only Live Twice. Uh, 11 is Scaramanga and Nick Knack from The Man with the Golden Gun. 12 is Carver and Stamford from Tomorrow Never Dies. 13, Kanaga, Claw, and Baron from Live and Let Die. 14 is Dr. No from a self-titled movie. 15 is Blowfield with Wit and Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. And then you have 16, Blowfield from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's always confusing because they're back-to-back. Uh, 17 is Yurgi and Whitaker and the Milkman from The Living Daylights. And then 18 is Khan and Gabinda from Octopussy. That all being said, King and Renard are the villains. Which one would be the villain and the henchman? It's kind of up in the air. It's, you know, glass half empty type deal. (laughs) I mean... Depends on how you look. Because Grillface isn't going on the list. We saw him. For I, two I don't even. I don't even count him. That was like Valentine's problem. That didn't even have anything yeah. to do with this movie. Um, but I mean, between King and Renard, you know, Renard trying is supposed to be the villain, and King is like the one that's turned, and King being the villain, and Renard's the, like it doesn't matter either way. It's a glass half empty, half full type of deal with these two. That all being said, they're not strong villains. I, I liked the <clears> the plot. Yeah. I liked you know what they were supposed to be but i did not like the execution of them um i mean these types of characters have been done in other bond movies in various ways that have done a a much much better job than these guys um i was really looking forward to renard going back and rewatching this movie and like him being introduced i'm like oh yeah this is the guy who can't feel pain he's like super strong he's gonna be like another jaws type deal i mean he wasn't i remembered as a kid being him being way more badass than he actually than he he was like uh, for some reason like as a kid or looking back as a kid i i thought this was this would would be a little bit higher on the list because i was like man i remember the dude that couldn't feel pain being Mm -hmm. like intimidating and whatnot and i was like no he wasn't he was it was nothing I mean, let's, dude, I, let's just start at the bottom. I mean, let's, 
I think yeah, <laughs> is he better than Conan Gobinda? Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I I definitely. I mean, they're they're pretty close. I mean, both movies we just talked about were very similar as far as everything goes, weak villains, all that stuff. Yeah, and it's a similar scenario. I mean, Khan and Gabinda were one of those things where like they were the kind of the good guys slash bad guys slash they were up to everything. It, it was like all very confusing, and the same thing goes in this this movie. Um, King and Renard, same thing. I mean. I, there were things I, I kind of liked a little bit better. They deemed, did seem a little bit more menacing. I mean, especially when you saw the darker side of King after that complete 180 the turn. 180 flip, um, yeah. From there on, King did seem to be a little bit more villainous. Renard seemed more villainous in the beginning. It's almost like that they switched, which I just don't think worked for this movie. But either way, I, I, I could kind of... I'm same thing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're kind of right up... right. Back and forth. I mean, I, I don't think they're better than Yergi Whitaker and the Milkman. Yeah. I mean, the Milkman, right there. Yeah, they're not better than Yergi Whitaker and the Milkman. It's it's the question is is there better? If are they better than Khan and Gobinda? I mean, that's that's what the question I, it's, is. It's and it's kind of right there. I think that if if so, it's very slight. But I I mean, I could see them slightly better. I would put them. I would put them as better than Khan and Gobinda. Um, but again, just like. Just like the debate between Octopussy and, uh, oddly enough, Conigo Binda were from Octopussy as well. But yeah. uh, just like the debate between Octopussy and this movie, I think we're splitting hairs. So I would yeah. put them slightly above it, um, just for nostalgia's sake, if nothing, if nothing else, you know. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I would I would put them just above Conigo Binda. All right. Well, that makes them the <clears throat> new eighteen. So therefore, I'm not rereading the whole list. Nope. I'm um, gonna skip over it this time. Uh, but so they're right there, second from the bottom. Um, I really, I mean, I know we're getting slightly better movies from here on out, but I'm really hoping we get some really good villains, and especially when we get into the Daniel Craig's, because I doubt it'll be in the next Brosby movie. I, I hope we get some more competitors for like the top five. Yeah. Definitely in the top five for from both villains. And movies. Like, I, I really want some more to kind of push everybody back down <laughs> just to kind of mix been, it up some. We've just been we've just been fishing on the bottom of the list for the last couple I, I weeks. Mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Golden and I were, like, right at the top, and then we just, like, kind of, like, started sinking down and down. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so which, Bond's, which, uh, Brosnan's Bond is, like, one super high high and then a bunch of lows. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's, God, but they're so, they're nostalgic as hell. Oh yeah, like and, like and still, you know, as still critical still as favorite. critical as I've been of these movies, the little kid inside of me is like flashing back to mm-hmm. watching these growing up, you know, and loving every minute of them. That that's the hard part because nostalgic was like, oh yeah, these movies are awesome, but then the review side's like, they're really not as good as you remember. No. no. <laughs> Uh, but the nice thing about being on the bottom of the list is you can only go up from here. You can only go up from here. <laughs> this, is <laughs> yeah. this is true. So, I'm hopefully. very, very curious to see if Die Another Day <laughs> ends up being better or worse than The World Is Not Enough. Because at for, this point, we could go either way. I can guarantee you this. Just based on memory, Die Another Day is not going to end up anywhere near the top ten. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, there. What I remember from Dying of the Day is like probably, 
look at it like a trailer. You know, you watch a trailer like, oh, yeah, that was an awesome trailer. Then you find out that it was like all the best parts of the movie. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. The trailer yeah. of that movie in my head is probably all the best parts of the movie. That's Everything what else you're, probably yeah. won't live up to it. Yep. That's, I, I got a feeling uh, that's what you and I are both <laughs> both thinking right now. Um, I'm kind of hoping it's somewhere in the middle. I'll be okay if it's somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, but I guess we'll have to find out next week with Dying of the Day. So that I'm wraps up the world's not enough. Another day. I gotta sing. You can't, these you can't wait. You know yeah, it, right? You can't wait I got to. to. I got. You to. got to. Next time. Next time. <laughs> so, I'll send it to you, Eric, for the uh, the lo- the ending credits here, and then hopefully we'll see everyone again next week with uh, Die Another Day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for Friday Films Bond in Review, featuring The World Is Not Enough. Pierce Brosnan's second to last run as 007 himself. If you liked what you listened to on this episode, don't forget you can follow us on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Who Do Presents. Share your current list with us. Share if you're in mine and Jordan's age bracket and you're nostalgic for the Pierce Brosnan Bonds, share your level of disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> so we know we're not alone. <laughs> or tell us how you really think and, and you know, let us know that the movie is better than we think it is. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Because um, we want them to be better. We really do. I uh, do. I do so bad. Um, but <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you like what you listen to, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Hoodoo Presents. All right. We thank everyone again for joining us for The World Is Not Enough. We'll hopefully see you all next week with Die Another Day. Till then, let the credits roll.